Is it possible? Am I dreaming? Are we at the beginning of a major debate on international diplomacy in relation to Iran's nuclear ambitions? Such a prospect seemed almost impossible recently. Further procrastination seemed inevitable as new deadlines frequently replaced old ones, while the nuclear negotiations between the major powers and Iran were being endlessly extended. First, those deadlines kept changing as the preliminary negotiations at Lausanne, Switzerland, faded from April into early May. Next, the deadlines continued changing when the negotiators went to Vienna. It's worth noting that nuclear negotiators always choose pleasant cities for their protracted diplomatic efforts. The negotiators aim to finalize an 80-page agreement, ostensibly by June the 30th. But in the end, after at least three more lapsed deadlines, not until July the 14th. And according to other sources, the agreement now covers 120 pages plus annexes. Amidst all these delays, one provocative thought kept bugging me. Why didn't U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry simply call another press conference and announce that he and his delegation were breaking off the talks? In my imagination, an American walkout seemed preferable to the constant extension of this cliffhanger crisis as Iran fought at the negotiating table to avoid or delay the nuclear limitations which the major powers were presumably seeking to impose on it. In view of Iran's intransigence, Kerry could have said there's no point in endlessly discussing the issues in the face of inflexible postures. Emphasising this point, President Obama could have sent Air Force One to take Kerry and the US delegation home. The intransigent then might have diminished. Of course, I was only thinking tactically. So it was stimulating to come across a commentary by Thomas Friedman, who argued strategically for the same gesture, justifying a walkout in the harsh light of realpolitik. Friedman's column appears regularly in the New York Times. And on July the 1st, he confessed that, quote, It's stunning to me how well the Iranians, sitting alone on their side of the table, have played a weak hand against the United States, Russia, China, France, Germany and Britain on their side of the negotiating table. In that draft deal, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, has managed to preserve Iran's basic nuclear infrastructure, albeit curbed. When the time comes, I'm hiring him to sell my house. Every time there is a sticking point, it keeps feeling as if it is always our side looking to accommodate Iran's needs, unquote. Friedman then forcefully echoes my walkout speculation, quote, I wish we had walked out just once. When you signal to the guy on the other side of the negotiating table that you are not willing to blow him up or blow him off by getting up and walking away, you reduce yourself to just an equal, and you get the best bad deal that non-violence can buy, unquote. Friedman then further stimulated my curiosity by asserting that diplomatic negotiations in the end always reflect the international balance of power. 
He both quoted from and provided an internet link to a recent article in the magazine The American Interest by the foreign policy specialist Michael Mandelbaum, who maintained that, quote, in the current negotiations with Iran, by contrast, the United States is far stronger than Iran, yet it is the United States that has made major concessions. After beginning negotiations by insisting that the Tehran regime relinquish all its suspected enrichment facilities and cease all its nuclear activities relevant to making a nuclear bomb, the Obama administration has ended by permitting Iran to keep virtually all those facilities and continue some of those activities. How did this happen? Part of the explanation may lie in Barack Obama's personal faith in the transformative power of exposure to the global economy and his fervent desire for an agreement to serve as a capstone to his presidency. Surely the main reason, however, is that while there is a vast disparity in power between the two parties, the United States is not willing to use the ultimate form of power and the Iranian leaders know this, unquote. Mandelbaum continues, quote, The only certain way to prevent Iran from making nuclear weapons is to destroy its facilities for doing so. President Obama has occasionally hinted that he is prepared to do that. All options are on the table, he has said. But over time, this threat, such as it is, has lost credibility, unquote. At this point in his column, Friedman excuses any Obama weakness. Quote, Before you denounce Obama as a wimp, remember that former President George W. Bush had eight years to address this problem when it was a smaller problem with either military force or forceful diplomacy, and he blinked for eight years, unquote. Mandelbaum breaks off in his article to remind that, quote, North Korea has nuclear weapons today because the North Korean regime did not keep the promises it made not to acquire them, and the United States did not decommission its nuclear facilities through aerial bombardment. There is good reason to fear that Iran will follow the same path. I will come back to why the US did not bomb North Korea's nuclear installations, but first I must quote the bit of Asian history that featured in the New York Times on July the 14th as veteran reporter David Sanger detailed the claimed breakthrough with Iran in Vienna. At first, Sanger's report from Vienna was headlined, Obama's bet on Iran nuclear deal will take years, if ever, to pay off. Later the same day, this headline was interestingly modified to Obama's leap of faith on Iran, which seemed justified by his opening paragraphs. Quote, In his opening to China more than 40 years ago, Richard Nixon made a huge Cold War gamble that he could forge a working relationship with a communist country that had built a small arsenal of nuclear weapons and clearly had long-term ambitions for global power. For President Obama, the deal struck last Tuesday morning with Iran represents a similar leap of faith. 
He has made a bet that by defusing the country's nuclear threat, even if just for a decade or so, he and his successors would have time and space to restructure one of the United States' deepest adversarial relationships with Iran. Mr. Obama will be long out of office before any reasonable reassessment can be made as to whether that roll of the dice paid off. The best guess today, even among the most passionate supporters of the president's Iran project, is that the judgment will be mixed. Unquote. A little further down the Sanger report, there was an indication that the man who had assisted Nixon over China was still active enough at 92 years old to possibly hinder Obama over Iran. Quote, Little in the deal announced on Tuesday eliminates Iran's ability to become a threshold nuclear power eventually. It just delays the day. To Mr. Obama's many critics, including Henry A. Kissinger, the architect of the China opening, that is a fatal flaw. It does nothing, Mr. Kissinger wrote recently with another former Secretary of State, George P. Schultz, to change three and a half decades of militant Iranian hostility to the West. Unquote. Kissinger, Secretary of State for Nixon, and Schultz, Secretary of State for Reagan, have both been remarkably active on this issue, contributing lengthy op-ed pieces to the Wall Street Journal in both 2013 and also earlier this year. The latest op-ed is headed the Iran Deal and Its Consequences, with a subheading mixing shrewd diplomacy with defiance of UN resolutions. Iran has turned the negotiation on its head. The two former secretaries of state maintain that quote, for twenty years, three U.S. presidents of both major parties proclaimed that an Iranian nuclear weapon was contrary to American interests, and that they were prepared to use force to prevent it. Yet negotiations that began twelve years ago as an international effort to prevent an Iranian capability to develop a nuclear arsenal are ending with an agreement that concedes this very capability, albeit short of its full capacity in the first ten years. Unquote. Just as one would expect of the Kissinger-Schultz team in their latest op-ed, they also try to link the Iran nuclear issue to the big picture. Quote, the final stages of the nuclear talks have coincided with Iran's intensified efforts to expand and entrench its power in neighboring states. Iranian or Iranian client forces are now the preeminent military or political element in multiple Arab countries, operating beyond the control of national authorities. With the recent addition of Yemen as a battlefield, Tehran occupies positions along all of the Middle East strategic waterways and encircles arch rivals Saudi Arabia, an American ally. Unless political restraint is linked to nuclear restraint, an agreement freeing Iran from sanctions risks empowering Iran's hegemonic efforts. Unquote. Kissinger and Schultz then deliver a counterpunch to the likely Obama camp response, stressing the need to diminish Iran's antagonism to the United States. Quote, 
Some have argued that these concerns are secondary, since the nuclear deal is a way station towards the eventual domestic transformation of Iran. But what gives us the confidence that we will prove more astute at predicting Iran's domestic course than Vietnam's, Afghanistan's, Iraq's, Syria's, Egypt or Libya's? Unquote. I want to close by returning to what for me is a revelation in the Michael Mandelbaum article of the real reason why the US did not use its military power to preemptively destroy North Korea's nuclear installations. Mandelbaum reveals that concern for South Korea's and particularly the capital Seoul's close proximity to North Korea was the crucial issue. Quote, the United States did not stop the North Korean nuclear program by force, partly because during a crucial period, the American government was preoccupied with Iraq, but also and mainly because it did not have a politically viable military option for this purpose. In response to any attack on its nuclear facilities, North Korea could inflict severe damage on South Korea's capital Seoul, which lies within range of North Korean artillery. For this reason, the South Koreans made it clear they would not support any such attack, and the United States respected the wishes of its democratic ally. In the Iranian case, by contrast, America's regional allies that are vulnerable to retaliation by Iran, Israel and Saudi Arabia, strongly favor striking the Iranian nuclear infrastructure. It is even possible that Israel will conduct such a strike by itself, unquote.